0: The enemy is trying to divide, and persecution is beginning to happen, not only in Syria with a lot of dead Christians, 60,000 more than Hitler killed, not more than Hitler killed, but more than, uh, yes, it was more, more, now I can't remember the statistic, but it's a large number, it's like 60,000 Christians have been killed in modern times, far more. Uh, than many other holocausts and things that have happened in the past so let's bow our head and let's pray father we thank you lord we can talk about joyful topics and sometimes we have to talk about sober topics and father they're all of you they're all in your word and father we come tonight we ask that you give us wisdom father give clarity of mind articulation of speech boldness of spirit to speak your word father i pray also that you would give each one here ears to hear hearts to receive and a will pe- to be doers of your word and father we thank you that uh, Lord, that you transform us. We're renewed in our mind and heart by the Word of God. Holy Spirit, come be with us tonight. Speak to us and change us. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to begin with our text from last week. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 3 11 and 12. And the Bible is really clear. It says, Persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and at Iconium, at Lystra, What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. To the degree that Paul endured them, determined whether he would be delivered from them. You know, we're going to have to endure hardship as a good soldier. We're going to have tribulation in this world. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now look what he says next. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know, I, I had, you know, asked people to raise their hand on this one time. And probably half of them, you know, the, the question was, have you ever been persecuted? And and about half of the people, you know, I don't know. I would be tempted to raise my hand whether I've been persecuted or not. Because it says, all those who live godly will be persecuted. Now let me think, let me connect those dots. If I'm living godly, I should be being persecuted. So I probably want to lift my hand and say I've been persecuted, even though, you know, maybe I have not been persecuted. You know, one time somebody looked at me. One time somebody gave me some sign language when I pulled out in front of them. Or, or you know, one, you know I, was, I felt really persecuted that day. And how many have ever had anybody do that to you? I don't know what they're trying to communicate there, but anyway, that, that singular, you know, but anyway, it's, it's just really strange to have that. And, you know, some people think that. And then some people are having their heads chopped off. And so there's a there's a wide range of persecution. You know, I know preachers who've just had people just come up and be belligerent to them. They don't know who they are, they don't know anything about them. But all of a sudden, they just decided they're going to go off on somebody that day, and it just happened to be somebody who was full of the Word. How many of you know? The Bible says persecution arises for the Word's sake. That's over there in Mark the fourth chapter, verse seventeen. It says it's the parable of the sower, and it says persecution arises. Everybody say it with me: persecution arises. For the Word's sake. You know, when I think of arises, it might just be a regular person. You know, I've never had that rise up in me before, one person might say, you know. But something about people that are full of the Word, the devil will try to get a rise out of you. Persecution arises for the Word's sake. You know, some people don't like what the pastor says, and they feel like persecuting him. So, you know, they may go home and talk about him or whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of different levels, and there's a lot of different things. But ultimately, persecution comes because of the Word. And I believe that that is what we're seeing today as Christians all over the world are being attacked and many things are happening. I'm going to ask you also just to turn, just by way of review, we're going to look at some of these things. And let's go to Matthew, the 10th chapter. And we looked at the three institutions of God and how the enemy attacks and works through those institutions to persecute. How many of you know the three institutions of God are the family, the church, and the civil government? We, we know that. That's, that's a very simple Uh, We've all studied that Uh, a lot of times in Christian worldview. It's very clear that God has created three defined and distinct institutions. But, you know, the enemy likes to work through those because they are such powerful institutions. And in verse 17 in Matthew 10, we can see that Jesus warns that persecution will operate through the religious and the government and even your own family. And in verse 17, it says this: it says, But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you uh, in their synagogues. And as I look at that, I can see that that's talking about the religious. Wow. In their councils. That's like, you know, the elder board or something. <laughs> I don't know. Or, or, you know, the deacon board. Or, or, but in their councils, you know, like the councils of Israel. You know, they had their Pharisees and Sadducees and, and uh, you know, all these different people. And they will bring you up to the council. They'll scourge you in their synagogues. You think, you know, of all places for that to happen. How many of you know ISIS is religious? How many would say there's a little persecution coming from those religious folk today? See, there's nothing new under the sun. And so, number one, persecution will come from the religious You know, they used to take Pentecostal people and tar and feather them, people that were Pentecostal. Of course, the Pentecostal movement began with Dwight Seymour, a black man who went into the Azusa Street Revival in California. And there's some people probably didn't like the color of their skin, as well as the fact that they were preaching that part of the word uh, that they didn't like, that speaking in tongues business. And, And, you know, there's religious people who have persecuted those things for many years. And so persecution can come and will come from the religious. Number two. Let's go to verse 18. And ye shall be brought before governors, now we're in the civil realm, and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Wow. And it, t- it tells you, when, you know, when this happens, take no thought, I'll tell you what to say. How many of you know, you know, we got ISIS, and then we got another one that sounds almost like ISIS. It's called the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> Except we know that the ISIS is a lot nicer than the IRS. And, uh, oh, excuse me. Well, anyway, neither one of them are very nice. But they've been targeting religious 501c3 organizations. Jeremy just said that they've been trying to find them because they forgot when they solicited funds as a 501c3 ministry in Florida, there was some funny little form that they forgot to fill out. Now they're coming after them trying to find them. You know, I just hate it when the IRS just torments people and is always... You know, bugging I got a friend, Shane Philpot. He, he was just, you know, the IRS just made his life miserable. He, he was audited five years in a row. And they were just looking for a reason to try to get him in trouble. So now we've got the government, and we've got ISIS, and we've got the IRS. Now Let's go to verses 19 through 21, and we're going to look at another source where persecution will come. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against the parents and cause them to be put to death. This isn't, any, this isn't just like a, a debate who gets to watch, you know, what channel on television. This is having them put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endures to the end shall be saved. Wow. Look what it says here. And you can go over to verse 37. 36, I'm sorry. Let's go back one more. For I am come to set man at variance against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So you got ISIS, you got IRS, and you got in-laws. Some of them are outlaws. No, we're just kidding. But you know, it'll be people in your own family. And Jesus goes on and says, And a man's foes shall be of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Persecution will come from our families. I don't know about that church. You know, I, I you know, why do you have to be at church all the time? What are they teaching you over there any, anyway? You're not giving them any of your money, are you? You know, all those preachers, you know, that, that there's, there's going to be all kinds of persecution—it's going to come from all three, and it comes from the government, the family, and the religious realm. And then Jesus, in that same portion of Scripture, he talks about—I isolated six different things that are tribulations and tests through persecution and difficulty, and they're tests. And I, and I put it like this: six tests of tribulation to test whether you will be an apostate or not. I mean, you know, the Bible says, except there be a great falling away, apostasy is the Greek word, or apostasia is the Greek word, and that's in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 through you know, 15, it talks about it. It talks about this great falling away, and that that, that will happen, And but there's tests, and Jesus gave six of them, we'll, we'll fly through those, we did them last week, but Not enduring to the end. He that endures to the end will be saved. So he that doesn't endure the end must not be saved. And it says, do not not fear those who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy the soul and the body in hell. Hmm. Fearing man instead of God is another test. Enduring to the end is one test. And then denial. It says, if you'll not confess me before Christ, uh, men, I'll not confess you before my Father in heaven an open confession of your faith. Are you an undercover Christian? Eventually you'll turn, you know, Peter followed from afar. Peter started out by denying Jesus. Then he denied him vehemently. And by the third denial, it says he denied him with cursings. But it only started out with him following from afar. Didn't really want to be associated with that. See, we've got to have an open confession for Christ. Loving family more than the love of God. A lot of people use family as an excuse not to, not to serve God. And if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, it says if you don't pick up your cross, just like with family, if you don't love me more than your family, you're not worthy of me. If you don't pick up your cross, you're not worthy of me. If you're not willing to give up your life, lay down your life to gain it, you're not worthy of me. Jesus said these things. He gave us six basic things that in the end times, it will be a challenge to us that will cause us to want to stray away from God. And it will be a, a great stumbling block to us. And it's not being able to endure. It's having fear of men instead of God. It's denying Him and not having an open testimony. It's going to be loving your family more than God. It's going to be not picking up your cross, doing your part, serving, helping build the ark of safety. And lastly, not willing to give up your life. Well, it's my life. I want to do what I want. It's, you know, you know, I want to live the American dream. See, the American dream isn't exactly the same as Joseph's dream. Joseph's dream started out in a pit, and then it went to, a pit, uh, to Potiphar's house, and then it went to prison before it ever got to the presidency. And see, God's God's plan for our life is different than the American dream. It isn't, all, you know, it isn't so much that it's your best life now; it's God's plan for you forever. And you know, I believe this, we, we've got to make a clear distinction and delineation between the plan of God for my life, which might mean going through a pit, it might be, mean going through Potiphar's place in prison and prison, and before I get to where he wants me, instead of the American dream, which would go straight to the presidency. But you know, I, I believe that we've got to be willing to lay down our lives. So those are some things. So there's three options to persecution, how many of you know betrayal is not an option? Not for the Christian. So number one is betrayal, but we apostasy or or failing all those tests and and letting, you know, the government get to you, family get to you, or the religious people get to you, and caving in and and, and giving in and giving out and giving up and, and all that. That's not an option. We have to keep on, keeping on, and we've got to be strong. Any of you ever feel like giving up? See, I think we've all felt like giving up. You know, it says, endure hardness as a good soldier. And, you know, especially if you, you know, about the time you get persecuted a little bit, man, you really feel like giving up. I've been persecuted. I've had people say things about me that weren't true. And, and that one really, I really don't like that one when people lie. And I think we've all had people lie about us and, and we've all had that happen. And, and, it, and it's really not fun. And, and you know, so the second, the second option is deliverance. And how many of you know deliverance is a great option? And we pray for deliverance. Psalm ninety one, you know, and he'll, you know, and nothing shall by any means harm you. Turn to him and say, "Nothing shall by, by any means harm you." This is this is Psalms ninety one ten. No evil shall befall thee. It says, "No evil shall befall thee, nor plague come nigh thy dwelling." For he gives his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Psalm thirty seven. Or 35, I think, is, talks about, and his angels are camped around about, they that love him, and he delivers them. You know, another place in Isaiah, it says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue that rises against us in judgment shall be condemned, for this is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and the righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. And I could go through, I've memorized tons of scriptures on deliverance, and I know that you know in Daniel it says, uh, you know, the Lord, you know, the next morning when the king went out to see if he was still in the lions, and says, the Lord has sent His angel and shut the mouths of the lions and delivered His servant. We know that David was delivered from Goliath. We know that Israel was delivered from Pharaoh. Amen. We know the disciples were delivered from the storm. We know Jehoshaphat was delivered from the on. Uh, coming kings that were coming to destroy. And we could go on and on about the many wonderful, wonderful, wonderful deliverances in the Bible. And God wants us to be delivered and, and many stories. I want to read a story. This is really, you know, and how many of you know, you need to know Psalms 91, the day we live in. We need to know Psalms 91. Brother Hagin tells a story. This is a great story. I love Brother Hagin's stories. For he shall gives angels charge over thee, keep thee in all his ways. Here's Brother Hagen. He says, I heard a pioneer Pentecostal missionary tell this experience. A neighboring tribe had kidnapped a little girl from the tribe where he was a missionary. The people in the tribe knew that if they didn't receive her back before nightfall, they would never see her again. So the missionary and a native interpreter made their way through the jungle to the kidnapper's village. They took trinkets and uh, some things to bargain with, uh, and the chief, the chief for the child's return, but night overtook them because they couldn't travel at night in the jungle. They were forced to stay with the kidnappers' village. That sounds like a friendly place to stay. Sleeping on the floor in a thatched hut, they were awakened by the sound of drums. The interpreter said that the drums meant that they were to be killed. The chief had decided to kill them and keep both the trinkets and the girl. They were going to go for everything. And then they heard the hostile na- natives coming for them. And the missionary and the interpreter knelt down and prayed and committed themselves to God. Then the missionary said, let's not wait for them. Let's go out. I'll go first. He stepped outside with his eyes shut and waited for what seemed to be an eternity. One slash of their knives could cut off their head. But instead, he heard moaning and groaning. He looked, and every native was on his face on the ground. They are calling you God, the interpreter said. And they say that when you stepped outside, two giants in white white, stepped out with you, holding great swords in either hand. Wow. How many of you like stories like that? I love stories like that. It's just fun to read and and find about all the different things. And, and we can talk about deliverance. And, you know, that's that's mainly what we preach and what we pray and what we believe. And we know that, you know, there's there's, there's three options. You know, betrayal is never a choice. You know, I'm not going to betray the Lord and run scared and join the enemy and recant and renege and renounce and and, and give up my Christianity. I, that's just not an option. And, and I'm going to believe for deliverance. and I, And I like that option, and I'm always... Uh, hoping and believing that God never lets uh, anything ever happen. But, you know, there is another option. And you don't hear this talked about very often. And, and you know, in deliverance, you know, uh, it, it is a great option. And I, that's my first choice. But, you know, there is another option. Look what it says. Turn with me to Philippians. And I believe that when it comes to understanding these things, uh, it, it's, it's, really, it's really kind of a thing where we've got to have some deeper understanding that sometimes God doesn't always go that route or our faith doesn't go that route for deliverance. And I'm going to just point out some things that sometimes we're just going to have to face some persecution. Sometimes we're just going to have to go through it, and we're going to have to conquer that, and we're going to have to be the victor over that. Now, we're over here in Philippians 1. I'm going to read a portion of Scripture what Paul said. It's really a powerful portion of scripture here. We'll begin in verse 20. It says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. At that point he wanted to go on home. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Did you know it would have been easier for Paul just to go on home? But he stayed and he was persecuted and he eventually was martyred. You know, sometimes we've got to think of just not me going home But he said, it's more needful for all of you that I stay. You know, I think sometimes we've got to understand that that third choice or that third option is sacrifice. And I think that sometimes we don't like that idea. We want want to be like Daniel. We want to be like David. We want the deliverance. We want the great story like the missionary. But sometimes we need to be the ones who endure the hardness. Sometimes we need to face the persecution and really... Uh, defeated in a sense. Turn with me to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more in detail what I'm talking about here. And because, you know, today what we have, we as Americans, you know, we've been delivered from a lot of things just because we've got a good government, we've got a lot of Christian faith in our nation, and a lot of prayers, and a lot of word, and a lot of the things of God, and, and that's changing. But there's a lot of Christians in the world that are going through horrible persecution. There's a lot of Christians, you know, you get. You know, the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, you'll find out there's a lot of people being put to death for their belief. Syrian, 200 Syrian Christians getting their head chopped off. All kinds of churches of two and 300, they're coming in, they're machine gunning them all to death. Is it that those people don't have any faith? Or is it is they don't have enough faith? What, what's the answer to that? You know, I have people that have asked me that, and I have to scratch my head, and I think, well, you know, I believe in deliverance, but, you know, some of these people aren't being delivered. It's because they don't have any faith. or What is, what is the deal there, Lord? And as I study this out, as I look at this verse of Scripture over here, look at Hebrews 11, chapter, verses 28 through 35. And look, here's, here's deliverance. It says, through faith, or by faith, uh, let's go to verse 29, excuse me. By faith they passed through the Red Sea. and that meant They were saved from Pharaoh. As by dry land, which the Egyptians assayed to do, and they were drowned. Wow, that's victory over the enemy. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. After they were compassed about seven days, they won that battle. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them. that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. She was saved from it. They should have been killing her because she was not. She was a Gentile. And what shall I more say? The time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David, also of Samuel and of the prophets. Through faith, they subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And that's not people from, you know, Mexico. And so fought with in armies of the aliens, and women received their dead raised to life again. That sounds like all deliverance. But then all of a sudden it changes in verse 35, and it says this. And others were tortured. See, I want to be in that first group. I don't want to be tortured. Anybody want to be tortured here? We pray not. And, uh, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. What does that mean? Wow. That's, that's like, that's outside my comfort zone. That's way outside my comfort zone. Let's go on, verse 39. And all these having obtained a good report, through faith received not the promise. What does that mean? You know, I look at that, and they were suffered. They were suffering, and they were in this terrible situation. And it says in verse 39, yet they obtained God's approval. That's the Williams translation says that, verse 39. They obtained God's approval. And they went through this suffering, and they were delivered. And they weren't delivered in the same way, excuse me, as the others. And then, then, what's that part right there? It says, hmm. And having obtained a good report. And again, William says, they obtained God's approval. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And they that come to him must believe that he is. That he's a rewarder of them that don't understand. You can't please God without faith. Having obtained a good report, it says that they obtained God's approval. So they must have been in faith. And having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. What does that mean? They received not the promise. Every trant, you know, I, I look up commentaries and I and I read and I study. And, and really that promise wasn't the immediate promise of being delivered, but the greater promise of the Messiah, the eschatological promise, the promise of kingdom come. The promise of Messiah. That did not come to them. They didn't receive that. They thought that they would hold out and they would believe and that God would vindicate and God would be on their side. And they did not receive that promise. But they were in faith and they were believing. You know, one thing about faith, and I wrote some things down. There's kind of a sliding scale of faith. To whom much is given, much is required. Did you know that the faith that God requires from you when you're two years old in the Lord is different than when you're 20 years old in the Lord? To whom much is given, much is required. And as you get older, your faith, God's going to expect more of you. You know, Brother Hagin said when when, uh, his kids would get sick up to about the age of, I think it was 12 or 14... They didn't have to use their faith. They didn't have to believe. They'd just tell Brother Hagin, I'm sick. And he would just say, you know, he would just quote Mark eleven twenty three 23 and get his faith turned on, the switch of faith turned on. And before he knew it, those kids were healed and delivered. Then all of a sudden, when they're about 14 years old, he said, oh, then the Lord told him, he says, now they're going to have to get it on their own. How many of you know you can't just live off somebody else's faith all your life? How many of you know your babyhood faith isn't going to be the same? It says, our faith groweth exceedingly in Thessalonians. Faith comes, faith speaks, and faith grows. Three things that faith does. Faith comes, by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith grows exceedingly, 2 Thessalonians. And faith speaks, Romans 10, 8 through 10. Mark 11, 23. (laughs) But faith does those three things, and there's a sliding scale to whom much is given, much... You know, in Romans the 14th chapter, it says that different people have different expressions of faith. You know, it says one person, you know, with meat sacrificed to idols, one person says this. He says, my faith is I would never touch something sacrificed to idols because my faith is I want to honor God and I want to be defiled. I want to keep everything consecrated, sanctified, holy, righteous unto God. And my faith is I, I'll survive just fine never eating any meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul says that's their faith and it's good and it's commendable. He says another person will come along and say, I don't care if those things were sacrificed idols. My God's big enough. He's bigger than any idol. And my prayer is going to sanctify it. I don't care if the devil himself made it. I don't care if the devil himself ate it. I don't care if the devil himself made that sacrifice. My God can sanctify anything. Anything the devil can spoil, my God can make good and make righteous and make holy for me to eat for supper. How I many of those are two completely different expressions of faith? But they're both faith. It's when you got two understandings in the head, but the same heart filled with the faith in the heart. You know, if you understand one thing one way and you apply your faith to it, it's still faith. If you understand something in a different way and you apply a heart of faith to it, it's still faith. And I think when we get over here into Hebrews, we've got to read the rest of the chapter and even into verse, excuse me, chapter 12. Let's keep reading. And it says, and they were, and it talks about all these things, how they were not delivered. And it says, I'm going to begin back in verse 33: Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again, and others. And we have this big turning point. We're tortured not accepting deliverance, they might attain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings, scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in half. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. That makes me think of the Syrian Christians. How about you? Of whom the world was not worthy. These must be some pretty good folks. God says the world isn't even worthy of this type of faith and commitment to God, of whom the world is not even worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. You know, I'd like to meet some of these. I'd like to meet Pastor Benedict. What's his name? Uh, he's in prison. Said Abedini. Said Abedini. Sounds like Houdini. Pastor, he wishes he was Houdini. Maybe he could disappear out of there. Said Abedini. I'd like to meet that guy. How many of you would like to meet that guy? And he's witnessing to his captives, the people that beat him and torment him and persecute him. He's preaching the gospel to him. He's showing the love of Jesus to him. I would say of him, the world that is around him is not worthy of him. I would say those creepy people of ISIS and those creepy, uh, you know, religious people that have him in prison and are beating and torturing him and not let him come home to his wife and children. I would say about those creepy people that they're not worthy of him. Can I get an amen, somebody? Wow. And they wandered in the deserts and the caves of the earth and all this having obtained a good report, approval of God through faith, received not the promise. Not the promise of the kingdom come. And having provided a better thing for us that we with out us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, now I don't believe in chapter distinctions. That's just human, man-made stuff. Go right into chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight that so easily beset us and let us run the patience, the race that is set before us. So we got these people in heaven, they're watching us run our race, and some of them got delivered, and some of us endured great hardship and great persecutions, and they're all one great big cloud of witnesses. They're all in a great big grandstand, it says. That's what the original language means, that they're in a grandstand like the original Olympics and and we're running our race and they're all watching, looking unto Jesus. And when we run our race, it says, let us lay aside every weight that does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand and the throne of God. Wow. And for consider him that endured. Now, if we didn't have to go through some persecution here and there, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners, why would we consider him against himself, lest we be wearied and faint in our minds? You know, if we think that everybody in the Old Testament got delivered, if we think that all was the apostles, you know, all the apostles were martyred except John, and they tried to martyr him and they couldn't get it done. If we think that in the days that are coming, That we won't see any persecution and that everybody got delivered in the Bible. We need to look again because not everybody did get delivered. You know, some of them got delivered this time, they got delivered this time, they got delivered this time, then God says, now it's your time. And the apostles, you know, they they were delivered from the storm, they were delivered from snake bites, they were delivered from things, but then there was a day where they weren't delivered. Why is that? See, it's God's allowing them. To have that. But then there's a maturity of faith. There's a maturity that, you know, you don't know how to be delivered and you grow and then you learn how to be delivered. And then there's a maturity that your faith grows even more and you realize, like Paul, it's better for me to stay here and maybe get the job done. I'd like to be delivered. I'd like to be, you know, taken up. Beam me up, Scotty, out of this mess. You know, I'm really tired of all this. But he stuck around, he says, because it's more needful for the people. And then we go from the self of what I can believe for me and then what I can endure for them. And that's two different types of faith. Can I get an amen? Amen. Well, I knew you'd get excited about that. But it's still true. What I can get for me or what I can endure for them. And sometimes God calls us to endure some things for the sake of other people. Now, I still believe in being delivered. But I'm just saying... There are certain things that maybe you're going through and you're saying, God, why haven't you delivered me yet? Now, I'm not talking about sickness and disease. You know, how many of you know sickness, disease? You know, there's three things that we're called to suffer persecution, submitting to authority, and resisting sin. You know, we're not called to submit to sickness and disease and poverty and, and you know, the devil possessing us or oppressing us. How many of you know that, that those things we should always be delivered from? Can I get an amen? But the Bible doesn't teach that we always get delivered from persecution. There are some hardships that we're going to have to endure as good soldiers. And, you know, as I look at this, you know, we, we can see that in Revelation 2. Turn with me to Revelation 2. I know thy works, or in verse 9, I'm sorry. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say, they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. You know, I believe there's synagogues of Satan today. I think Isis is a synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried. Everybody say, tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. And now, be thou faithful unto death. I will give thee a crown of life. Be thou unfaithful, so you'll die. No, it says, Be thou faithful unto death. Sometimes those people, and I I don't know that any of us will ever have to go. You know, I believe this, that if you have a desire to be delivered, God will probably deliver you from anything. But I believe that, you know, those who would choose to be martyrs who have a different type of faith, that God does allow that with some people. I'm not sure why some or, or if it's because of our choice or what, I think it's more our choice. I believe it's more our level of maturity. If, if we have faith and maturity and we want to be delivered, I believe God's going to deliver us. I believe that if we go on to maybe a more mature level and we're, and we're willing to endure and we're willing to do things for others and, and have to go through some things, that he will do that and he'll give us a great crown of life for it. He that hath ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith and the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write these things unto, <clears throat> excuse me, these things saith he, which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. How I many of you know some people, I believe over there where Isis is and where the Muslim world is, is kind of like the seat of Satan. How many of you believe that today? There is such a darkness. There is such a, how can I say, they are so prospering in their evil doing. It's almost like that's the seat of Satan right now on planet Earth. And that's where the plans to destroy the nation of Israel is, God's people. And that's where the plans are being devised to destroy America, the great Satan, supposedly. Where America is the greatest missionary sending, it's the most filled with the most word, the, probably the most Christian influence of any nation that's ever been on the planet. And the seat of Satan, I believe, is the place that would want Israel's destruction and our destruction. And it's the place where more Christians are being martyred than any place on planet Earth. And he's saying this. Now look at this. Where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where Antipas was my faithful martyr. Well, if he's a martyr and he's faithful... He's filled with faith to be a martyr. That doesn't mean he didn't have enough faith to get delivered. He's like the guy who has a different expression of faith. His idea of faith is, I got enough faith to endure this terrible hardship to stand for Jesus and not renounce my faith. How many of you know that's an expression of faith different than deliverance? But it is an expression of faith. And I believe that when we see people like that, we we need to have great honor for them. Who was slain among you wherein Satan dwelleth, where Satan dwells. You know, I think if some of us ever, ever came up against maybe some of the trials and tribulations of those people over there, uh, we, we might, wow, I don't know how well we'd do. I'm kind of a big wimp. I don't, I don't like pain. Any of you like pain? I don't like pain. I pray to God that if, if I came to a terrible situation, that I'd be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, I'm not, I'm not careful to answer you, O king. That my God, He's gonna deliver me, and even if He didn't deliver me, I'm still not gonna bow down to your stupid idol. Even if He doesn't deliver me. And I was And then I'm gonna get thrown in the fiery furnace. Or I'm gonna experience some pain. I'm gonna have some serious persecution on my hands. You know, I, I just really believe that, you know, in those in those days when Shadrach and Am- It was deliverance, but they were also willing to sacrifice without denying and enduring to the end. You know, strange phenomenon about some World War II. I'm a big World War II history guy. I love watching, you know, educational channel. I love watching about World War II. I love, love like, the guns and the strategies and the big characters, Patton and all these guys. I, I love studying about World War II. I love... Learning And what I really love is when old World War II vets are virtually all gone now. When they interview these old World War II vets. And I remember one night I was watching a channel and a very strange phenomenon. The story of an old World War II survivor. And they were interviewing the, the survivors. And without exception I saw this phenomenon. Without exception I saw this phenomenon that they felt guilt about coming home and being delivered. And they always claimed with tears in their eyes running down their face that the true brave heroes were the fallen who gave their all for the kingdom that they were fighting for. And, you know, you, you, you think about that. They, re, they, they felt guilty and they didn't want to come back. And, and without exception, they all said, no, the true heroes are not the ones that got delivered and made it home alive. The true heroes were the ones who gave it all and won the ultimate victory and gave their life. And I think about that and I think, you know, I wonder if in heaven it's not going to be something like that. Uh, because their suffering ultimately provided others deliverance. And they gave the ultimate deliverance to others through their ultimate sacrifice. 2 Thessalonians, Paul talks about things like that. Let's go there quickly. We're going to finish out. 2 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 12. And I hope this isn't too melancholy of a sort. Is this really like early melancholy or are you all learning something tonight? Amen. I just want to give a perspective. You know, I believe that God's a deliverer and we should pray for deliverance. But I, I just, I don't think we should look down on people like the Syrian Christians. I don't think we should say, well, you know, if those guys had some faith, they wouldn't get their heads cut off. I don't think we should do that. I think we should honor and say they've got a different expression of faith. They're over there in the seat. They got it worse than us. They got a lot more difficult thing. And, and, and we need to honor them, and we need to think. I'm just trying to give a perspective on something tonight. I'm not saying that you need to be a martyr. <laughs> I'm not saying that y'all need to be a martyr, okay? Everybody say, Pastor Bill is not saying that we need to be martyrs. I want to get that real clear. But what I'm saying is we need to honor those people who possibly have gone through that. Let's, let's read over there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4-12. through And it says, So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. He says he gloried in the ones that were going through the persecution and tribulation, kind of like those old soldiers. They gloried and gave honor to the ones who had it the worst, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Are we worthy of the kingdom for which we also suffer? And he was saying they were. He was exalting them, and I believe this. Verse ten it says, "And when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired." In all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore, also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified in you, and ye in him, according to the grace of our God. And so they prayed for them who were under great persecution. And said, we take glory, we glory in you. And because you're counted worthy of the kingdom for which you suffer. And I believe that Paul was really uh, exalting those people. You know, it says those who overcome in Revelation 2 and 9. It says that to the martyr uh, Antipas, it says, hold fast to the end. And then in the last part of that chapter it says, those who endure to the end. And those who overcome will I make, will will reign with me. In other words, they will be given a crown. You know, a crown in the Bible isn't this ornamental thing you wear on your head. How many of you know a crown isn't just a a piece of jewelry on your head? A crown is being put over a nation. The Bible, when it talks about crowns, it's really talking about, you know, in the parable of the minas, if you're faithful and a good steward with the minas, one will be put over five cities, another will be put over ten cities, and when, you know, martyrs are put over crowns, or they have crowns, which means they're put over nations, because it says we will rule the nations with him. So don't, don't think a crown is just something you're going to wear. Think of it as an eternal position that you're going to have. And he talks about that. And he talks about overcoming and God doing that. And it says in Timothy, if you suffer with him, he will also reign with him. And what does it mean to overcome? Well, it says we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our tenet the word of our testimony, and not loving our life unto death. So some of these things I say tonight because there's three options. We, we, one is not an option. Uh, we're never going to bail out on God. Number two is an option. I believe in being delivered, and thank God I, I've seen deliverance in my life. I'm believing for you to be delivered from persecution, and I'm believing that we're going to have great deliverances. But the third option is if we don't see deliverance, and we might have to go through some Uh, some difficult things, and we might have to be persecuted in this life, know this, that God allows us to go through that type of a, uh, I don't know if it's a test or we have to go through that trial, and that it's actually, John Bevere says that the kingdom of God suffers, and the kingdom of God comes to us through tribulation. It says the kingdom of God will come by tribulation. Kingdom of God literally means kingdom authority. And authority comes to us, and I'm going to talk about this more. John Bevere talks about this a lot in one of his teachings. And he says, the kingdom of God, what that really means is the authority that we have over sickness and disease, the authority that we have over the devil, and a lot of the things that we we think kingdom authority, the things that we have authority over, really come through us enduring persecution and hardship and having the ability to overcome those things that God allows us to walk in that kingdom authority as sometimes we suffer with him, we'll also rule with him. So I believe that we rule over the devil. Sometimes we may go through some difficult persecutions. Paul was persecuted all the time. And when he would go in, you know, 19th chapter of says that he would take aprons and he would take claws and put on people and they would be delivered and demons would come out and they'd get healed. And some other guy, you know, some exorcists tried to cast out devils and they basically beat them bloody and naked and they went running out and they said, you know, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but we don't know who this, these clowns are, these Jewish exorcists. Paul had gone through a lot of things, but he carried authority in the kingdom because he overcame. Let's stand up tonight. Let's be overcomers. Let's be those who, yes, we believe for deliverance, but if we go through some hard things, I believe God wants us to overcome persecution, endure persecution. I believe he wants us to honor those in other countries that may be martyrs and going through very difficult things.